again, everyone, and welcome inside the Adam Jones Podcast, brought to you by the Baltimore Banner. And of course, I'm Jerry Coleman. He's a big Laker apologist, the former five-time MLB All-Star. He doesn't need sensitivity training. He's Adam Jones. Hey, happy Mother's Day uh, coming up this week, this yeah. Sunday. Uh, yeah. You and I, unfortunately, are without our moms. It still hurts for both of us each and every day. We miss them so much, but we want to salute all the moms out there this week, H.A. hundred percent, hundred percent. They celebrated it out here in Spain, and, uh, you know, we're going to celebrate it again next week. So, yep. yeah. Miss you, Mom. Yep. Same here. Same here. Today in episode number 29, folks, we're going to be joining. We've been waiting for this one for a while. He is the executive senior VP and GM of the Baltimore Ravens, Eric DaCosta, after he signed Lamar Jackson to that five-year deal. His plate is, uh, well, it's still not empty. Uh, we'll also bring you another edition of Socially Speaking coming up, and we'll qualify someone for a Miss Shirley's gift card. Eric's had a meal or two, I'm sure, over there, and uh, they do some catering around the complex as well. But let's get to it. There he is. He's closing in on three decades with the Ravens organization. He is Eric DaCosta, also known to uh, his friends and family as EDC, which has become a very popular moniker. And I thank you for joining us, Eric. Uh, we promised our, our listeners and viewers a long time ago that we were going to have you on. We waited patiently, and, and here we are. And I know you enjoy doing these as much as you do as going to the dentist probably and getting a root canal, but nonetheless, we're grateful. How you doing? I'm doing good, guys. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Always good. Adam's in Spain. I'm in Sarasota. You're in Baltimore. Let's start with Lamar Jackson. You knew the questions were coming now that it's all done. Um, and you've had a chance to reflect. Was it stressful? Was it a two-year period that you guys were negotiating? I don't know what the timetable was, but it seemed like he essentially signed a similar deal that was offered to him by you guys back in September. Well, it was stressful, I think partly because uh, we realized the importance to the organization and the community. Uh, a special player, a special person, beloved by our fan base, which we take very seriously, um, tough negotiation for sure. I think that in, in, a negotiation that had historical implications as well. Um, you know, you know, looking at the history of the NFL. So for us, it, a lot of time went into it. I think the other reason that it was stressful is Lamar represented himself and did a very good job. But along with that came additional pressures that were unprecedented in professional football. Eric, how you doing, sir? EDC, how you doing? I'm doing great. How, how is there no interest in Lamar Jackson? Like, we knew there was three options. We talked about it. You either franchise tag him, non-guaranteed franchise, or you trade him. You non-franchise tag him, basically calling the bluff. How is that no team, and there's a strong, like, six that needs a quarterback, okay? And he's better than half the league. So how is there no, 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 no traction with that? Was it injuries? Was it talks and you know i mean was it that they had to deal with his mom like <laughs> yeah yeah I and mean, that's a good question I mean, and the fact is do we really know that there was no interest we really don't uh we know that no team made him an offer um now potentially they might have discussed an offer with lamar at some point and said we can't do that i mean we don't really know i think lamar did indicate that he had some conversations with teams um prior to us getting him signed but those uh, conversations didn't necessarily result in a contract offer. 
Um, I can't answer that. I mean, every team looks at players differently. Every team has their own value associated with the player. Injuries can sometimes be a factor. The financial implications can sometimes be a factor for specific owners. Um, so I think it was a combination. I think for us, the thing that I would say is that we know Lamar. Uh, we wanted Lamar. I think we showed Lamar more love than anybody else along the way. We steadfastly maintained our intentions of getting him signed if we could. And uh, I think in the end that resonated with Lamar and was helpful in, ha- in us getting a long-term deal done. So how are you relieved now? Like, how is it now? Like, whew, we, Lamar's yeah. done. Now we can move on to, to other pieces. Is a, a just a breath of fresh air? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's, it's like anytime you have something that's bad or challenging in your life, I would say that other things don't necessarily taste the same. You don't enjoy them quite as much. They kind of hover above you as a distraction. And so, you know, for us to be able to get that deal done last week, it made the draft more enjoyable. It made my time spent at home with my family more enjoyable this past weekend. I think I'm sleeping better. Uh, everything tastes better. Movies are better. TV series are better. You know, um, it's just one thing that, like, hopefully I don't have to deal with again, you know, in my career. Hopefully Lamar doesn't have to really deal with something like this again in his career. And uh, I think the real winner is with Baltimore, the fan base, our community, and the city at large. Now, I got to ask you, how did you uh, sort of talk him off the ledge with that trade request? Because you guys were poised, <laughs> calm, and collected the whole way. You always are, except on game day. You don't want to be around Eric during a game uh, because he's in no mood for uh, small talk. But we're having a little here. So did that catch you by surprise? And then I know at the press conference, he was asked about the whole OTA situation. There's no doubt he's going to be at the OTAs, correct, now that he's been paid? Well, there's a lot of questions there, Jerry. So let me let me go to the first question, which was the uh, the trade uh, demand, and uh, that came while we were at the combine, um, and I was uh, watching workouts and interviewing players. And you know what I learned from Ozzie Newsom, the great GM, is always remain as patient as possible. Take a breath, assess the situation. Don't do anything rash. Um, be strategic in your approach and do what's best for the club. And so in this instance where we truthfully had no desire or interest in trading Lamar, we, uh, we did nothing and we continue to engage Lamar. We tried to, uh, to listen, to hear him, to hear where he's coming from in the hopes that we could put uh, an offer on the table that would be attractive to him. And that would give him a chance to really assess what he wants to do. And so that's what we did. You know, um, we've had other players over the last four years demand a trade. In some cases, we've uh, we've helped that along and traded players. But in this case, trading Lamar Jackson was kind of a non-starter in a lot of ways. And I think my motivation and my ultimate you know game plan was to do a long-term deal. Uh, in regards to your second question, uh, in regards to the off-season program, our off-season program, Jerry. I think you know this, but maybe not. It's not a mandatory program. No. Nope. And so uh, it's up to the player, and we can make our feelings known. Uh, I think Lamar knows we'd like him here. But that's going to be up to the player. And, um, you know, collectively bargained. Some guys are here. Some guys are not. Some guys are here for part of the program. Some guys are not here for any of the programs. Some guys are here every single day. 
So uh, I'm not going to have a strong opinion on that right now because it is collectively bargained because players have the rights to do what they want to do. We support Lamar. Uh, we do think it's best for all of our players to be here. We do have a new offensive coordinator. I think it's really, really important that our offense is on the same page. Um, and I'm confident that we'll be on the same page by the time September rolls around. Eric, I want to ask about contracts. Obviously, the whole thing is how much guaranteed money and how much guaranteed he got and how much guaranteed Watson got a full boat guaranteed. I play baseball. You sign on a dotted line, that number is that number. Football is different. Basketball, we're guaranteed. When, I mean, let me say why do you, do you think it's a GM? And I mean, obviously, it's great in your position that they aren't guaranteed, but why do you think they aren't guaranteed? And do you think they ever will be a guarantee? Maybe on the lower end deals, one-year guarantees, but do you ever think, I'd say, like a, a five, six-year, again, a Watson, basically? Well, there are a lot of one- and two-year fully guaranteed contracts, um, especially one-year deals that are fully guaranteed. Um, you know, our, our league has a hard salary cap, and there's not, it's not tied into luxury taxes and things like that. There's a hard salary cap that every club has to adhere to every single year. The issue that we have with guaranteed contracts is that we have a lot of players that suffer pretty hard, serious injuries. And when that being the case, anytime you have a player that gets hurt, um, we have to replace those players. So when you go over the salary cap and you get injuries, now you have to cut players. And it makes it really, really hard to, to build a roster. We play in a very physical game. With a, with a lot more injuries than other sports. We've also got a large roster of, uh, you know, about 69 players, including the practice squad. So um, we're always churning and churning the roster and replacing players and bringing guys in. We do not have a minor league system, unlike other sports. So uh, the, the, uh, the financial aspect of our game is dramatically different from other games we do have the uh, ability to do fully guaranteed contracts and if a club wishes to do a fully guaranteed contract um it, it it can the issue becomes when you cut a player that has a fully guaranteed contract you then bring in what's known as dead money um which is money that you're paying players who are no longer on the roster yeah uh, in another sport dead money isn't it, it's money lost to the owner but it's not money in a lot of cases that's counting on a specific salary cap. In our business, that dead money counts on a specific a salary cap. And when that happens, now we're taking money from other veteran players on the team. They can't get paid as much because of dead money being paid to other players who are no longer on the roster because they had guarantees. So um, that makes it challenging for a club. And so, of course, for a club, we want to have the flexibility to be able to bring in as many players as possible that we have to based on injuries and so in order for us to do that, the idea of fully guaranteed contracts is probably not as quite appealing. More ahead with the Ravens GM, Eric DaCosta, coming up here on the Adam Jones Podcast. But first, let's hear from our dedicated, loyal sponsors who you should be supporting, folks. The Adam Jones Podcast is brought to you by the locally owned and operated Miss Shirley's Cafe, an award-winning breakfast, brunch, and lunch restaurant with three locations in Maryland. Miss Shirley's has been featured on Food Network's Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, and Triple D Nation, as well as Travel Channel's Food Paradise. Miss Shirley's Cafe has also been named Maryland's favorite restaurant by the Restaurant Association of Maryland. Visit Miss Shirley's Cafe in Roland Park, Inner Harbor, and Annapolis. Go to MissShirley's.com by Be More Around Town, which is now booking for their hashtag Orange Road Trips to Atlanta, 
Wrigley Field, San Francisco, which includes a pit stop in Napa Valley, and Yankee Stadium, among others. Learn more now at BeMoreAroundTown.com by the very respected folks at the Weinman Company. By Hollywood Casino Perryville. To some, it's a game of chance, but for you, it's a game of choice. Hollywood and Barstool are bringing you more ways to bet in Maryland. Catch all the action in person at Hollywood Casino Perryville at the Barstool Sportsbook or bet online with the Barstool Sportsbook app. When you download the Barstool Sportsbook app, register and wager, and you can get up to $1,000 bonus cash. Plus, get up to $1,000 when you sign up and wager in person at Hollywood Casino Perryville. Play from anywhere and get up to $2,000. The choice is yours. Must be in the state of Maryland to wager and over 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgambling.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. By Jack Daniels, two legends, one can. Jack and Coke, the number one cocktail in the world, is now available in a can. Yes, it's true. Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey mixed with Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar are now both available in a can. Two legends, one can. Jack and Coke, ready to drink? Please drink responsibly. Whiskey specialty, 7% alcohol by volume. Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey, Lynchburg, Tennessee. By G-Leaf Medical Cannabis Company. Visit gleaf.com. gleaf.com offers free delivery. Medical cannabis is for Maryland patients only. And the Baltimore Banner. The Banner is offering six months of unlimited digital access for only a dollar to get started visit the baltimorebanner.com slash aj and now we have a lot more to get to with eric DaCosta here exclusively on the adam jones podcast back to edc all right so jerry was explaining to me dead money a couple weeks ago i still don't understand it is it like well i don't do a, a good guy, job in explaining uh, that's why no, it's if a guy's if a guy's making five million he gets hurt he's hurt for the rest of the year he can't play um that and if he's hurt that money is just dead well, that's money that's, that money that's counting against the cap that year for a player that can't play. Uh, it would also be – it doesn't have to be an injured player. It could be a player that, say, we bring a guy in and we're going to pay him a one-year, $5 million contract, and he's just not very good. And we would we cut him that season. Now that money, that $5 million counts against the cap right away. Or another way to look at it, say we had a player on a two-year contract and – we uh, were paying him $5 million a year, and we gave him a $10 million signing bonus, so two years, uh, $20 million. If we cut that player year one or before year two, we're going to get hit with uh, a $5 million dead money amount, which is the second half of that signing bonus acceleration. That's going to hit that first year. That's dead money. That's money that we're taking on the cap that year for a player that is no longer on the team. And you don't once want we that. do that, <laughs> yeah. Once we do that now, though, Adam, and we have to replace that player, our salary cap is five million dollars less because of that player, which is five million dollars less that we have to pay another player. Gotcha. So now a veteran that maybe would get three million dollars from another team, we offer a million dollars, and he says, "No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hold out for three million dollars." So now we take a lesser player and sign that lesser player for a million dollars, but now there's a portion of the, the the players in the NFL that aren't getting deals because of guarantees because they can't get the money that's going to other players on guarantee contracts, if that makes sense. Baseball is a lot easier to just say, man, if the owner wants to do it, do it. <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> simple, right. Simple. So, you know, what you could say is maybe some of our guys should have learned how to pitch instead exactly. of throw a football or catch a football, you know, or, or hit a baseball. Yeah. Lefties out there, that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, you have been so loyal to the Ravens. You were loyal and still are to Ozzie Newsome. I'm wondering when, you know, you have your experiences, Lamar going through his with his options out there. Did you relate 
some of your past experiences and the opportunities you had to be a GM for another team, yet you remained in Baltimore. Yeah, you know, I was blessed uh, to work for Ozzy, the Wizard of Oz, and I learned a lot of things, you know, through him. And one of those is patience and, um, you know, and loyalty. Uh, I really appreciate, you know, players and staff that are loyal to the brand or the cause or the team and that it's, it's about winning. So uh, that always really resonates, I think, you know, with me. But the, the bigger thing, Jerry, is like it's I'm an emotional person and typically, you know, uh, wear my heart on my sleeve. But just working with Ozzy and just watching him clinically just kind of step back unemotionally, you know, uh, that was a really valuable experience for me. So in a negotiation, I think I'm able to kind of remove myself a little bit, not make it quite as personal, just make it really business and let things happen kind of organically along the way, not react to every little perceived slight um, and just, you know, let it happen over time rather than get emotional and have things be blown up. Yeah, Jerry mentioned you are a lifer. I mean, I don't know which number you are in terms of hires, but you've been there forever. I mean, you've been working on 27 years. I'm not sure on the exact number. Yeah, um, a little higher, talk, a little higher. A little higher 28? I don't want to slight you, brother. Uh, I want to talk about culture. Since you've been there since day one, you came, mm -hmm. the team was an expansion team, at, uh, you know, of sorts. How has the culture changed, if it has? Because me growing up, hearing about the Ravens, they're going to punch you in the mouth. Yeah. Going over to Baltimore in 08, that team was still punching you in the mouth. Winning the Super Bowl in 12, that team really wanted to punch you in the mouth. Still to this day, is it still that same exact culture? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think in, in some ways, you know, we started out as a very, very small organization. And uh, we kind of built a team. Our first team was really built in, in Baltimore's image, you know, very blue collar. This is a very blue collar town, kind of a gritty town, um, very loyal, proud, hardworking people. And that's kind of been the image that we've always used to build our team. You know, uh, we've never been the flashiest team. We've always been a defensive team, likes to run the ball, control the line of scrimmage, physically impose our will on people. And I think that's, you know, remained. Uh, I do think just in terms of the Ravens, you know, culture, it started out with the Models. They they were uh, owners that really took care of their staff and their players. Everything's always been, you know, first class. I think our facility, um, you know, is indicative of that. Our stadium, the environment at the stadium, how we treat our fans, how we treat our staff here and our players, um, whether it's accommodations, travel, the food the locker room, whatever that might be, technology that we, we invest in for our players' support and well-being. We're one of only, I think, five teams in the NFL that has a full-time uh, psychologist uh, on staff for mental health to help our players. We see a lot more mental health issues these days than we did, and so that's something that I'm very proud of as well. We have grown as an organization. We're not quite as small as we used to be. We're probably more corporate. We probably have more of a corporate feel. And one of my challenges is to always remain family first here. I think it means something to people to work for this organization. Um, and I think it means something for our players. One of the things I'm proud of is that veteran players love to come here and play. And that's because of how we treat the families and how we treat the players. Uh, that goes back to Steve Bishotti and especially John Harbaugh, how we practice the scheduling, the communication, how we take care of those guys. We've really become a destination spot for veteran players, which is great to see. Well, I'm wondering, should agents, and Adam had an agent when he played baseball and still has one, should NFL agents be a little worried 
the fact that you have now signed two mega contracts with Roquan Smith and Lamar Jackson, both representing themselves without agents. Uh, do you think there's some nervousness around the league? You deal with these guys a lot. Yeah, well, you know what? You know, Jay, I got to tell you, man, it's and I hate to say that I have a lot of friends that are agents, uh, but it's not rocket science in a lot of ways. Uh, especially in those rookie deals. Uh, you know, as you get going and you're on your second, third contract, there are a lot of different ways these things can go, and it certainly helps to have an agent in a lot of ways. Um, it it can't happen, though. And what we see now is players becoming more confident in their abilities to negotiate deals. We've seen players be, become more empowered in terms of their careers and decisions that they make, and I think it's great. Uh, I love the independence that our guys show, and, it's you know, it takes two. It takes – a GM that's that's willing to meet with players and to go over all the different ways that we can do contracts, all the different mechanisms and things. And it takes the right type of player who's going to prod and ask the right questions and not be afraid to meet with an, uh, meet with a general manager in his office. Uh, and also take some, take some criticism because that's one of the hardest things I dealt with was, you know, when I deal with an agent and I'm talking about a player, it's much easier for me to be transparent and be critical uh, with an agent about a player than actually to a player about himself. And that's, uh, that's a hard thing. If you think about it with a family member or children, uh, your own children or a family member, it's sometimes it's hard to have these types of conversations about things that you're unhappy with or something that might need to change or how they hurt your feelings or whatever it is. But it's, it's much easier to have those conversations with business people or someone you work with than it is somebody in your family. And so when you do negotiate with a, with a player directly, in some respects, it's like having a personal conversation with a family member. And those can be challenging. I want to get to the gridiron. All right. I want to get to the gridiron. You signed my boy, Odell. I'm glad that's, that's a big signing. Obviously, uh, D. Hopkins still out there. I don't know if you can finagle that, but that's getting salary cap. I'm sure you ran the numbers. Uh, how did Odell come? Is D. Hopkins still on the radar? Is there is there anything as anybody else, wide receivers wise, or any other positions still on your radar? Yeah, well, Adam, you know we're never going to be done building the team until the uh, season's over. You know, and we 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 have a lot of different ways to do that: free agency, undrafted free agency, the draft trades, signing guys along the way, which uh, we can do. I think three out of the last four years, we've made a trade before the trade deadline, which is fun for me. Um, we've signed some some big free agents. Odell came about really a year ago, uh, really or like, like last October. We started talking to his agent a little bit, uh, a guy named Zeke um, that I've known for a while who does a really, really good job. And we were interested in potentially Odell joining us towards the end of last year. He wasn't healthy enough to do that, but we were able to maintain the relationship and continue to stay in touch with him. And uh, those conversations just continued to morph throughout the beginning of the uh, new league year. We were interested in meeting with him. We had the chance to do that out in Arizona. It was a very productive, very illuminating meeting. We spent some time with him out, in, out there at the owners' meetings and that was probably the first time that I thought, hey, this might actually happen. Um, the conversations were good. Steve Bishotti got involved a little bit. Um, and we were able to hammer out a deal. And I knew we were the underdogs going in. We understood that. I mean, Baltimore is not, um, you know, Los Angeles. It's not New York. It's not Chicago. It's not one of these. It's not Miami. It's not necessarily a place where players love to go. But 
Uh, we felt like we had a chance. I think we were honest about our intentions. We kind of understood what was important to him. We really appreciated his position on terms of like what he's looking for and how he wants to get there. Very genuine in his assessment and what his goals were moving forward. And we were able to get it done. And it was an awesome experience. I was well, actually at the movies with my sons watching the, uh, that Nike movie that came out. And we were just at the point in the movie where Michael Jordan decides to sign with Nike over Adidas. But my phone rang and it was Nick Matteo, our cap guy. And he said, man, I think we're going to get this guy. And uh, it was the day before Easter. I was overcome with joy. It was a great feeling. I think my son Jackson was the happiest because he, uh, he's all about receivers. And he's been telling me for two years, Dad, we got to get some receivers in here. And, uh, you know, I think he was the happiest. And so in regards to any other players, you know, if they're on other teams right now, um, it's hard for me to talk about them based on the rules, the tampering rules and such. But I will say this, that uh, any player that is available at any point, we're going to evaluate, we're going to look into, we're going to vet, and we're going to do what's best for the club. And if we think we have the chance to get better as a football team, then we're going to attack that viciously to build the best team we can. All right, don't count this against my time, but just for clarity's sake, you didn't take a phone call in the middle of a movie theater, did you? No, I just checked. I put my phone under my shirt, and I went down like that, and I looked, and I could see where the text message was. And I looked at my son, and I said, man, I got a good feeling about this. And he was like, can we leave now? And I said, no, we got to see the end of the movie. <laughs> All right, good story there. Uh, we, we know about the decision not to pick up the fifth-year option with Patrick Queen. You guys went ahead and drafted the linebacker out of Clemson, Trenton Simpson, in the third round. What does this mean for Patrick? We saw a tweet where he put out sheesh when he saw the decision was made. Is his career over as a Raven right now, or it's still in flux? Oh, I don't think it's over, Jerry. I mean, he's under contract. He's a very, very good player. I think he had his best year last year. He played his best football towards the end of the year. And, you know, this is just strictly a business decision as we assess the team and the salary cap and where we are moving forward. Um, we just really weren't ready to commit to that type of number on the fifth year. And it doesn't mean that Patrick won't have a chance to do an extension with us because I certainly think he does have a chance to do an extension with us. And, you know, drafting uh, Trenton Simpson was really about drafting the best player on the board at the time. He was a guy that we thought was a borderline first round pick, outstanding skill set. And, um, and while it's not necessarily the biggest need for the team, what we've seen over the years is that your needs can change quickly and that the situation with your roster can change quickly. And so over time, it's like value investing. Over time, we believe that drafting the best player available is the best way for us to remain competitive every single season. So I don't think fans should really you know, react too strongly or try to draw too many conclusions from us not picking up the fifth-year option. There are many uh, – Many different situations over the years where clubs have done the same and done long-term deals after the fact. And we do think that's definitely a possibility with Patrick. Nice. Uh, is there anybody else, you know, J.K. Dobbins, that's, you know, any other similar players under contract that he might be looking, hey, you know, we might need to lock these guys up before they get too good, too expensive. That's always the thing. You want to get them before they get too expensive. Yeah, I mean, that's right, Adam. We've tried to be as proactive over the years as possible. You know, one of the things when I came uh, to, came on as GM that we want to try to do is sign as many of our guys back. And I think we've done that in a lot of ways. You can look at guys like, you know, Nick Boyle, Ronnie Stanley, Mark Andrews. Um, you know, we signed Marcus back. We did Roquan. Um, you know, there's been a lot of different guys. And, 
you know, we'll continue to try and do that. Now, I will say when you have a quarterback making a lot of money, it's more challenging. When your quarterback is on a rookie deal, it's easier to bring back a lot of different guys. But as we look out next year and we see we have some guys in the last year of their contracts, one of the things we're working on right now is how can we bring some of these guys back on an extension to kind of remain strong at the bottom of the roster and that mid-level of the roster so that we're not really one of these teams, these top-heavy teams. They have these really, really good players on top but don't have the depth in the bottom to sustain a lot of success. I had a question on, on top of that. Restructuring contracts, like, like, does that mean? Does that mean? Does it mean exactly what it says? Like, I'm making ten million this year. We can go talk, and I make eight million this year. Two million slides to the back. Is that? Well, there are, there are a lot of a lot of ways to do that. So, what you might see sometimes is a cap deal. When you hear a cap deal, that's uh, basically a way for the club to free up cap money, salary cap money in that given year. So, hypothetically. Players making ten million dollars in salary this year. What you might do is, if the player's got say uh, four years left on his deal, you might give him an eight million dollar signing bonus to bring his salary down to two million this year, and then spread that eight million over four years. And so now his number goes from being ten million to being four million this year. So you save six million dollars of cap room. When you do that, though, you're not you're not you're not necessarily saving money because you're just increasing the cap numbers. In future years, those cap numbers all go up now in that scenario by two million per year. So it's like you're moving money; you're not necessarily saving money. That's a cap deal. An extension typically will take place when a guy has future years on his deal. It could be one year, it could be more than one year. You add additional years. You give them some guaranteed money. You you figure out what you're going to pay him in those additional years, but you're going to give him guarantees and you're going to give him upfront probably signing bonus money. And that is what I would call a reduction. Uh, and that's when a player is making X amount in any one year. And you say, you know what? We can't afford to pay you. We can't afford to pay you this amount. So your traces basically are we either cut you, you become a free agent, have a chance to go sign with somebody else, or you work with us. Maybe you're going to make $8 million, We want to pay you $5 million. You've had the chance. Your agent has had the chance to see what your market might be. If you figure out that your market might be four or five million, you may say, I want to stay in Baltimore and take the haircut. If not, you might say, well, cut me and I'll take my chances out there and go play someplace else. Um, in some cases, we end up cutting the player. He goes out and has a chance to see what his market might be at him and says, you know what? I'll come back to you guys. That happens more than you think it actually does. Every once in a while, a guy goes, you know what? I think I can get this. And I say, you know what? I can't pay you that. So good luck. And he goes out and actually gets that. And I'm like, man, more power to you. Your agent right. did a great job. You did a great job. We can't pay it. We think you're worth it someplace else. Good luck and have a great career. Now, I know we're talking dollars. I want to try and make sense because you tune out a lot of the media noise, and rightfully so. But during the whole Lamar situation, there were people in the media calling the Ravens cheap, you know, for not stepping up to the plate. The fact of the matter is you paid Roquan. You paid Ronnie. You paid Marlon Humphrey. You paid Mark Andrews. So where does this come from? You know, I think it's just agenda. I, I think people want to be controversial, Jerry. And a lot of times, what we see really isn't isn't based in fact. It's it's based in uh, fiction, hyperbole. Um, like I said, agenda. You know, could be you know working with agents. Could be trying to make a name for yourself. Whatever it is. In the end, we just try to drown all that out. We have a conviction based in uh, fact, evidence, data relationships. We try to stick to that as possible. We want to be as strategic as possible. 
and do what's best for the player, but also do what's best for the club and also the community. So as a GM, I constantly feel that push and pull. We want to take care of our players. We want to be fair to our players. We want to create an atmosphere for our players to succeed. But we also feel a responsibility towards ownership, towards the brand, towards the league, and towards our fans. And so it's a never-ending struggle to do what's right. And I would say this, you know, when you – someone told me this one time. When you start listening to the media or the fans, be careful. You might be sitting with them someday. And um, we try to do what's best for the club so that we can build the best team possible to win. Um, not always popular with people, but in the end, what we hope is that they'll look back and say, you know, they were pretty smart what they did, and it helped that football team quite a bit. A previous guest of ours two weeks ago, a good friend of yours now, Sig Mydale, uh, very fond of you. How did that relationship come about? Well, hold on, hold on. Hold on. We actually, we should play the clip for Eric. Let's go, <laughs> let's go to the videotape again. When there were rumors of us, of Michael Elias and myself coming to Baltimore, like Eric was the biggest supporter of that. He was texting more often than family for, for updates. You got, you got a nicer office than him. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> well, I've known... I've known Sig and, and Mike for um, a while now when they were working for the Astros. In fact, the first time I met those guys in person was at a game at Camden Yards. They were working for the Astros, and I had the chance to sit with Jeff Luno and Sig in the uh, owners uh, visiting owners suite, and that was the game. I mean, you have to look up the game. Um, Adam, you might, might remember this game. That was the game where I think the O's hit four or five home runs in a row to start the game. It was the first inning. It was in Baltimore. And I think the first four hitters hit home runs. They were, the Orioles were winning that game, I want to say, like nine or ten to nothing. The Astros actually came back to win the game. But baseball is not like a football game. Like for me, I, I would not want to be meeting with anybody during a game. You know, like I'm all focused on the game. We have 17 games. Every game is extremely important. And, you know, like I looked at one point to Sig and Jeff and I said, guys, if you guys want me to leave, like I'll leave. Like you just gave up full home runs to start the game. So <laughs> I will leave. And they were like, oh, no, this happens all the time. Don't worry about it. We're going to come back. Don't worry about it. And they did. Um, but at one point, you know, I remember uh, I was I was. uh I was talking to Louis Angelos about uh, Sig and Mike and just saying like, man, these guys are really, really smart guys. I really respect what they did in Houston. And I've had the chance through my job, we would consult on different things when they were with the Astros and we would talk about, you know, different scouting techniques or analysis and different ways that the Astros, I mean, the Astros didn't, you know, I mean, controversially, but they did an amazing job of building that team and uh, a lot of respect for some of the things that they did and how they scout and stuff like that from a personnel standpoint. So uh, the relationship grew. And I love Sig. He's a funny guy. He's a brilliant person, great background. Mike is probably more of a traditional scout like myself. But uh, we do things socially sometimes. We hang out. I was able to be, uh, you know, in their draft room last year, in the first day of their draft. And I had Sig last year in Baltimore. He was in the fourth round of our draft and we had the six fourth round picks. He sat in the draft room with us last year because he had helped me kind of like organize my thoughts last year. 
leading up to that. And so uh, I invited him to Baltimore as our guest. Man, I could talk to you all day about that because uh, <laughs> getting a glimpse of them and seeing you the way you have your game face on. And as I said at the top of this interview on game day, and they're all relaxed as their team is getting bombarded. Uh, didn't rub off on you. I can see that. Uh, <laughs> What about your relationship with Mel Kuyper Jr.? He always gives the Ravens very good grades. We know he's a longtime Baltimorean. Does he help the team out? No, he's just a, just a special guy, really. I mean, I love what he does. I mean, that guy has built the draft um, as much as anybody. So when you think about the NFL draft, you think about Mel Kuyper. And I think lots of fans should thank him for what he's done over the years for building the draft and building the game and making the draft such a great sporting event. It's crazy to me, you know, more people watch the draft than they do like playoff games and other sports. That's just crazy to me, but that's the way that it is. And um, he's just a dear friend. I've known him for a long time. And uh, you know, the fact that he's a Baltimore guy makes him special. His love for the area, the fact that he still lives here. He's great for Baltimore. He's a local legend and uh, he's a dear friend. Before we let you go, I want to talk to you about uh, your extracurricular sports, pickleball. Uh-oh. I heard you. Uh, I heard you get into pickle. I play paddle out here in Spain. That's very, yeah. very big in Spain. Uh, they don't play as much pickle. I know how to play pickle also, but uh, we got to get a match when I get to when I get out there because it's fun. It's it's just exhilarating. Yeah. But how'd you get how'd you get into pickle? Well, I've always been a racket sport guy. You know, I played tennis growing up. And, I knew it. Uh, I knew it. Yeah, I was a tennis guy. I, I actually played baseball. I was a catcher, but uh, I lived next to my high school. Um, my high school had courts, and I could walk there, and they had, they had lights. So at night, I would do that in the summertime before football. I played football. And so for me, it was like conditioning thing and just, you know, I would play a lot of tennis. And then when I was coaching at Trinity College in Hartford, they had an incredible uh, squash program. And so I started playing squash, and Paul Asiante uh, the coach there gave me some lessons and uh, I started playing squash. And then that, when I came to work for the Ravens, I started playing racquetball got pretty good racquetball player. Uh, and then when, during COVID we started, uh, we started playing pickle. So we bought, we built a court on the basketball court here. And then we had a court put in out back just on the pavement. Uh, and so we started playing four or five or six of us started playing. I started playing at a local club as well. And, um, I just really enjoy it. I play singles and doubles. It's a great sport. It's uh, challenging as well. People have this image of pickle not being a tough sport. I can tell you singles is, is every bit as challenging from a, you know athletic standpoint as tennis or squash or a sport like that. And then doubles is really a strategic game. I love the camaraderie playing with somebody else. We rotate teams quite a bit. As Jerry knows, Jerry's played with us. We rotate teams and, um, you know, I think we're talking about actually putting some courts in out back, which will be really exciting as well, because the court we play on now, the outdoor court is kind of a makeshift court. There's some, you know, cracks in the ground. It's not totally even um, the basketball court we play on is a hardwood floor and that's a different game. But the sport is growing like I think it's the fastest growing sport in the world right now. It's just incredible to see and it's fun and it's a sport you can play whether you're 15 or you, you know, 75 years old, which is awesome, too. And uh, people just seem to love it. Second week we talk pickle on the podcast here with sure. uh, with Eric this week. But uh, real quickly, so there's going to be a dedicated court coming into the complex now. That's 
Is it going to be for just the front office or are the players allowed to participate as well? I don't know if that's part of their contract. Yeah. You know, like not being able to, to, to skydive. Well, you know, if we, if we do it, we got to be careful. I think, you know, with the, with the players, but um, certainly I, I would love to play with the guys, but, and that's not a sport that it's, it's not a sport like uh, basketball or something. Skydiving, as you say, that could be, could be dangerous, you know, um, as much, but we do, we do want to be careful with our guys for sure. Um, I'm going to, incidentally, Adam, I'm going to be out in Spain. Um, I'm going to a wedding out there in, uh, in, in mid June, I'm going out to Barcelona for four or five days awesome. and then, uh, and then Madrid, the, the wedding is in Madrid. Well, let's get each other's contacts after here and, uh, take yeah. you out for some tapas in a nice, where are you? Here. I'm Barcelona. Oh, cool. Barcelona. Yeah. It's awesome, awesome man. That'd be great. Weather's perfect. All right. We've taken up enough of your time. I'm sure there's uh, someone in the background saying, wrap this thing up. So we will (laughs) let you go. Very grateful for you taking the time to spend with us here on the podcast. It's been, it's been a lot of fun on our end. Yeah. Dream. Thank you. See you guys. All right. There he goes. Mr. EDC, Eric DaCosta. And that's your first chance to speak with the man, Adam. Uh, Your first opportunity. uh, You've known about him for a while. Uh, your reaction to what he had to say? I mean, he's a he's he's a scout. He he's, he watches the game differently. He's intense. He knows he knows it. He knows the numbers. I mean, it was a pleasure. I mean, I've read a lot of his quotes. I've seen him in interviews, uh, but never got to talk to him to talk to him personally. And salute, Mister uh, Mister DaCosta, EDC. You know what I mean? <laughs> Very insightful. Very yeah. insightful. He's the All GM right. of the he's the GM of the of the of the Ravens, man. You, like you get the GM like. Like you gotta, you gotta get into them, man. That's the most important person. You ain't getting owners. Owners are hard. Owners are tough. They are, they are tough. There is one owner we're still trying to track down. Trying, trying. But if you can You're get trying. the GM, he's. There's no one who has better answers. No doubt about it. All right, let's jump ahead to our socially speaking social media post segment, where someone will have a chance to win a Miss Shirley's gift card. We got a pair of folks who are qualifying for Miss Shirley's gift cards this week. So I think you asked for a pair of Ooh. tweets you you said yes. not one this week coleman bring me yeah. two. so this week again you can always follow us and reach us via social media whether it be twitter instagram or facebook at adam jones pod at adam jones pod and the first one up is from at c bargs and c bargs writes oh is are going to need a frontline starter if they want to make a run in the playoffs would you <laughs> pursue and what do you think we have to trade away? A few names that I've seen pop up include Dylan Cease, Eduardo Rodriguez, former Oriole, Lucas G- Giolito, Zach Gallen, Josiah Gray, or someone else. There are other names that you've been mentioning. All right. So my, my list would it be, I mean, Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, because you have control this year and next year. Dylan Cease, yes, because you have control this year and two more years. Giolito, I, if you get Giolito, you can't give up too much for him because he's a free agent. Uh, Gallon ain't going nowhere. Arizona trade him. They need all of them need to just jump off a bridge if they trade him. Are you kidding me? He's <laughs> disgusting. Um, those are my guys. Eduardo Rodriguez. I'd say no. He's making way, way too much money, and the ZRA is too high for that. For you know, to trade no. Um, my guy, you see, I've talked about it. My guy is Corbin Burns, but now you threw Dylan Cease in there, especially on a bad team. Corbin Burns is on a good team. Um, you're just going to have to wait. I was watching a game the other night, and they were talking about how they think that this market's going to be slow this year just because 
a lot of free agents. A lot of people want to keep their prospects. Um, but here's the here's the silver lining. The Orioles have prospects to trade, and that is a blessing. That is a good problem to have. And if they're in the middle of it, they're in the thick of it, and they can go get a frontline rotation starter from for this year and for next year. That's how you do these kind of trades, like they did for Verlander uh-huh. in Houston. If you do these, if you do it right, you can go get yourself a really good frontline starter. And again, you're going to depart with some guys with some bright futures. You don't know what their futures are. It's really hard to tell. But uh, if you can go and ma- make your major league team better right now and and this year and next year, um, there's 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 going to be a few guys, not not a lot. All right, pull the trigger if necessary. The next yeah. one comes from Eric, who goes by the handle. At karaoke, sorry, at (laughs) karaoke master, he writes, your catch, AJ, in the WBC taking the home run away from Manny was my favorite play that you made. What was your favorite all-time play that you made? Is that number one? No, you know what's crazy? It's not. Um, That was a fantastic play. My favorite play that I made, it was in Seattle. Brian Mattis was pitching me through a changeup to Miguel Olivo. He crushed it to center. I run back and I catch it over my head. And um, Gary Thorne's like, hey, Willie Mays, because I, I went to go see, obviously, the, the replay. But the coolest part is it was in Seattle. My brothers and cousins always came to Seattle. It was always the guy's trip. Just go to Seattle, just go eat some steaks and just chill and relax for the weekend. So if you go back and watch this play, you see just this big black dude. As I get to the wall, like I'm right here at the wall, just this big black dude right here. That's my cousin. And I, <laughs> I remember running and like I locked eyes with him and then and then I got the ball again and I jumped and I caught it and then like he That's didn't awesome. see me he looked over the fence and then I come and like when I, I get up I look at him I'm like you damn right I caught that and I <laughs> threw it back so that that was because I got to share that with my cousin like intimately like in the game like in a play that was that was my that was my favorite catch sounds like a Hollywood script there it was amazing it was it was fantastic Oh, all right. Well, both Eric and that wasn't Eric DaCosta and yeah. <laughs> Bags are eligible for that Miss Shirley's gift card. And again, you can reach out to us at the Adam Jones pod at Adam Jones pod. Go ahead and rate the podcast. Give us five stars. We promise we'll love you for a long time, whether it be on <laughs> Apple Podcasts or wherever you follow us. We want to thank our sponsors. They're loyal and their unwavering support continues. So, Let's hear from them. The Adam Jones Podcast is brought to you by the locally owned and operated Miss Shirley's Cafe, an award-winning breakfast, brunch, and lunch restaurant with three locations in Maryland. Miss Shirley's has been featured on Food Network's Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, and Triple D Nation, as well as Travel Channel's Food Paradise. Miss Shirley's Cafe has also been named Maryland's favorite restaurant by the Restaurant Association of Maryland. Visit Miss Shirley's Cafe in Roland Park, Inner Harbor, and Annapolis. Go to MissShirley's.com by Be More Around Town, which is now booking for their hashtag Orange Road Trips to Atlanta, Wrigley Field, San Francisco, which includes a pit stop in Napa Valley, and Yankee Stadium, among others. Learn more now at BeMoreAroundTown.com. By the very respected folks at the Weinman Company. By Hollywood Casino Perryville. To some, it's a game of chance, but for you, it's a game of choice. Hollywood and Barstool are bringing you more ways to bet in Maryland. Catch all the action in person at Hollywood Casino Perryville at the Barstool Sportsbook or bet online with the Barstool Sportsbook app. When you download the Barstool Sportsbook app, register and wager, and you can get up to $1,000 bonus cash. Plus, get up to $1,000 when you sign up and wager in person at Hollywood Casino Perryville. Play from anywhere and get up to $2,000. The choice is yours. Must be in the state of Maryland to wager and over 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgambling.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
by Jack Daniels, Two Legends, One Can. Jack and Coke, the number one cocktail in the world, is now available in a can. Yes, it's true. Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey mixed with Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar are now both available in a can. Two Legends, One Can. Jack and Coke, ready to drink? Please drink responsibly. Whiskey specialty, 7% alcohol by volume. Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey, Lynchburg, Tennessee. By G-Leaf Medical Cannabis Company. Visit gleaf.com. gleaf.com offers free delivery. Medical cannabis is for Maryland patients only. And the Baltimore Banner. The Banner is offering six months of unlimited digital access for only a dollar. To get started, visit thebaltimorebanner.com slash AJ. All right. Thanks to our senior executive producer. He is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He is Chip Franklin putting this up. <laughs> and right there on the couch. Again, happy Mother's Day out there. Go out and subscribe to the Baltimore Banner. Be kind, be real, and be back here next week, folks, for another edition of the Adam Jones Podcast. Lakers in six. No. (laughs) You'll be done with that shirt by next week. I'm sick of seeing that shirt. We can end it now. 